Space Love Show for the love of music, lifestyle, well-being and culture while caring for our planet. On this show, I will be chatting with musicians, artists and creative minds that are living life on purpose by doing what they love. Welcome, Nathan Kay, to the One Space Love Show. How are you doing today? <laughs> doing fantastic. Thank you. Fantastically. Fantastic. And- <laughs> my adjectives all mixed up here. <laughs> I remember um, last year walking down to the shops in Mullum and running into each other, getting some food for our kids and um, saying that I have to get you on the show. And here we are finally getting you on the show and I'm really looking forward to having this chat. So we're we're going to dive straight in. So tell me because there was a few paths you took before who you are standing today. Um, how did you get into music from acting? Because let's go back there because you were into, you you know, your path took you on acting. Was music still there or how did that all transition for you? So I've, I've been singing since I was quite young and uh, I started playing guitar in my early teens. And so I've been, I was writing songs before I could play music though. So uh, And so what was happening is I was writing uh, the words and I had the melodies and uh, from a young age. And the first time that happened was uh, when my mum took me to an Aboriginal land rights protest. And I was about, I was 11. And I wrote my first song <laughs> from that. It was kind of processing what I, I had kind of experienced and witnessed there. So I was a songwriter before I was a musician and then I started learning music and um, it, you know, I had these dreams of being a big rock star or whatever. And, and I ended up auditioning as a dancer, if, uh, moving to Sydney and auditioning as a dancer for uh, Newtown Performing Arts High School. And there I discovered acting. And so I was doing music, acting, dance and, and visual arts as my majors. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm smiling because I moved back to Sydney. So my son goes to my, my second eldest son goes to Newtown Performing Arts. I love it. Such oh, a great I school. I loved it. <laughs> I, like, so I dropped out of school in, at the start of year 11 and I worked, I was vegan at the time. This is going way back, 1990. Yeah, yeah. Prior to when I, I didn't think there was even the term vegan, but you know, I was. But I the only job I could get was working in a chicken shop, ironically. And so to get through, and I was getting treated like crap. To get through, I did a lot of meditation and I trained in Aikido, and then I danced on the weekends. And after working a year there, I um, I realized I, I I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. I want to do something that I really love. And I spoke to my mom and she went, oh, there's a performing arts high school near where I live. And I was like, what? Like fame? <laughs> and um, and I literally packed my bags, went to my dad's work and said, I'm jumping on a coach and going down to Sydney. And uh, that day I made the decision that quickly. Wow. And I went down and auditioned, got in uh, and just got so passionate about all of the performing arts. So um, and I still am about all the performing arts. I mean, I'm not yes. a, a trained dancer anymore or anything like that, but uh, I see all of the performing creative arts as a means to uh, of storytelling, essentially. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, as things progress, like I was, I was 16 turning 17, I saw a couple of movies. I, I, I went, wow, I want to be an actor went to an uh, acting, knocking on tours at acting agencies. And then I'm kind of looking down because the sun's right in my eyes looking at the camera. So sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and I knocked on doors, got an agent. They sent me to my first audition about three weeks later. I got the role. And this mm-hmm. is an interesting twist because 
um, the year before working in that chicken shop, my dad was trying to teach me how to save. He was making me pay rent. I was 16 and was trying to teach me life lessons. <clears throat> and the amount I'd saved over that entire year ended up being what I got paid for one day's work as an actor <laughs> on that. I got turned up to this. I to, love it. It, yeah. it. it was bizarre. Like it was the exact same figure. And I went to, to do the job and I was used to being treated really badly by other staff. I was like the kitchen hand. So everyone treated me crappily in, in a terrible way. And, and I got mm -mm. paid bugger all. So when I turned up to the acting set and they were being really nice to me and I was kind of nervous teenager going, okay. And, um, and then I did the job. I got paid. You know what? I, I was 17. I got picked up by the wardrobe girl. <laughs> and so I got paid. I got laid. I, you know, for a 17 year old, it was like, wow. But the, the, what stuck to me was <laughs> the figure was the same. I love your honesty. <laughs> got to be honest. No, but let's get on this. Let's get on this point. So you got laid, you got paid. But that exact figure you manifested was the same figure. Is that what we're? That it was for me. It was like a sign from the universe. It was like saying, "You can do this and and hate your life and get treated really badly, mm. or you can do something mm. you really love and treated with love and respect and get remunerated for that time." So I went right. I'm going to get really good at this stuff. So I never not did. Like I was focusing, acting was just working out. Every audition I went for, I got. So I was just getting role after role. At, whilst writing songs, I had my band at school. I had all that stuff going. So I never not did music whilst I was doing acting, but it okay. was my main sort of vehicle for years. And it, after I did Muriel's Wedding and Home and Away, and, and I went to acting school, the same acting school that Joel Edgerton went to. After all that, there was a bit of a name drop. Anyway, um, <laughs> right, say, say it again. <laughs> say it again. I'm mumbling. Um, yeah. Same acting school as Joel Edgerton and, and uh, David Wenham. So I went there, I trained there. Yes. When I got out, of it, I, was, I did a film, I did Home and Away, and then um, I went overseas and I was, I, I was at a, staying with this French girl in, in Paris and she um, went to work and she had these CDs. So, and one was Ben Harper. Mm. Who's this Ben Harper? Love him. Hadn't heard of him at that stage. So I popped it in and I was like, whoa. And I got my cassette <laughs> when we had Walkmans in my cassette recorded yep. it and they had two albums. Yep. I was like, bam. And I listened to that and I and it it instantly made me realize I'd been neglecting my music side. And it said it, it was it was like speaking to me saying, You need to take your music seriously. You need to do that, yep. you know. And there was a whole bunch of signs. It was just like sign after sign after sign. And acting was an easy flow for me and I love it and I still love it and I do it occasionally. And I'd love to get back into it in a more serious way. But music sort of started taking over. I came back to, to Australia after some psychedelic experiences, came back to Australia and I couldn't handle being in Sydney anymore. So I, 1998, I moved up to the Byron Shire in my early 20s. Okay. And I, it was very hard to maintain an acting career. I tried to, but it meant driving down every couple of weeks for auditions and it just mm. wasn't tenable in those times. Uh, and then music sort of started just growing and flowing and, and it took over. <laughs> that was a very long answer to that one mm. question, but it gives you a good precursor. No. I, you know, that from a young age, I was I think open to seeing signs and, and following those signs and... And that's and that's what I'm interested in, Nathan, because it sounded like what you're explaining. Your parents weren't together. That's right. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. So that must have been a, something that happened. You know, that split happened, and it sounds like your mother was more of a calling of believing in allowing. You know, she saw the creativity and and guided you to that. But within all that story that you're saying. Mm. What do you think it was that gave you that awareness? Because I've always had that. I mean, I've always had that awareness as well. And mm. I've always had that inner guidance from a very young age. But I'm yep. wondering, what do you think gave it? And I know my mum and my grandmother are big earth angels in that inspiration. What 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 do you think in that story was for you? Well, that's a huge thing to unpack. I know. It, it really is. <laughs> um, okay. 
uh, I'm going to say this in in a public. Forum. Okay, sorry. I, I kind of I I don't tell many people this, but from a young age, I, I would have dreams, and then they would happen. So, yeah, premonitory dreams, and they would happen exactly as I dream them, and and not necessarily important stuff. Often it was just random. Really, it seemed to be you know unimportant stuff but it made me understand time from a different perspective from a young age i i I remember when i was six years old going to uh going to a hairdresser and you know how they have the mirrors like this on one Mm -hmm. wall and the wall behind and i was i looked at the the infinite if you know images of it going either direction and I remember at that age going, wow, if I could see far enough, like down this line, if I wasn't in the way and I could see through myself in all the images, I would literally be seeing into infinity. And that, I call this a mirror theory. So from that age, I was fascinated with time. I was fascinated with lifespans. And I remember mm. as the sort of pieces of the puzzle of the mirror theory came to pass. By the time I was about in my late teens, about 17, I'd come to realize that one edge of the mirror is your birth and one edge of the mirror is your death. Yeah. Right. And our life transpires between those two points. Yet there's this infinite refraction and reflection of, um, iterations of that life they're not exactly the same because when you look down those kind of mirrors they kind of bend and curve and it distorts and changes so um you know that 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 the concept of your life flashing before you as you die i came to this sort of question of what happens when you're having the flash and and you know in dream time when you're dreaming time is irrelevant so you can dream whole a whole life of existence in a in a few seconds and dreams don't last long right <clears throat> so time is relative to experience so that flash before of your life before you die could be the whole life all over again right the the next reflection mm-hmm. what happens when the reflection gets to its flash and so that's yeah. the infinite um, opportunity to learn, like this one lifetime is infinite. We can look at o- multiple lifetimes, but this one lifetime is infinite. My God, we are getting into <laughs> the philosophical. Yeah. Well, there's lots of there's lots of timelines, isn't there? And there there's is. and and that's yeah, knowing taking. that you can jump from different timelines and that we have that ability to do that if we're yeah, open. And, and, and so, <laughs> I, you know, I, I from from that sort of understanding i realized that we have uh every time we make a choice it bifurcates our, our timelines bifurcate we, we start going on another but it doesn't mean the other timelines don't exist and i've made some, a lot of bad choices mm-hmm. in my life and wonder about <laughs> what that other nathan is experiencing <clears throat> and i made lots of good choices too and so it's like you know and the times i've made bad choices yes. when i've not followed that that deeper knowing and intuition that that part of me that knows that gets pulled to yes or no, you know, and then I make a decision that my brain, my mind, my conditioned mind kicks in and gives me really awesome um, rationales of why I should not do this or I should. <laughs> why do that. you should not do that? Yeah, <laughs> right. It's it's Isn't funny. The we mind interesting. Smart ourselves, don't we? Yeah, you know. Yeah, and and so it's it, it's. It, and it's always when you do that you, and, and whatever comes to pass, you end up at that point going, I knew it. Ah. And, or I knew it. Ah. Because there's two, <laughs> you know, it's that binary yes or no, that uh, pull attraction yes. or pull, push away. That um, comes from the will, the will chakra, really, because the divine will, when that's working, that's pulling your intuition along. Um Oh, I want to ask, I want to go there for a minute. When okay. that's working, how many males are not operating from that working? <laughs> What's your opinion on 
Well, I mean, that's look, a big I'll, question. I'll Again, sorry, but <laughs> I'd say most people I know aren't really operating from that. Even the ones that are, yes, quote unquote woke. <laughs> Get your English right, damn it. No. Um. Anyway, the I think we're all sort of on this fumbling in the dark thing, trying to make sure, trying to find our way to make decisions that uh, work best for us and our life path and our journey that in impact uh ne the least negatively upon others uh and the most yep. positively hopefully what's and that's once you cross that threshold of knowing that you're alive uh, i use that because people use the term conscious and unconscious and 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 i think, i don't like it yeah well <laughs> it, it can come across as very supercilious and mm. um, and that's that creates a hierarchy. And you know, my older brother once said to me, "Oh, a new moon is as good as a full moon." And and that always stuck with me because it's like it's so true. We're we're constantly a new, new moon. moon is new moon is a full moon. A new moon is as good as a full moon. So as a full you moon. may be full of knowledge and full of wisdom and you know you know conscious quoting here. Um, but there's always a point like a, you, that you have to come back to being a new moon and refresh. Re the cycles never stop. You might, it's kind of like a spiral rather than a circle, but you know what I'm saying. Um, yeah, I know what you're saying. So, I was in a concert with Ben Harper and someone called out conscious and he went, like, come and join me in the conscious. And he was like, Ben Harper in the Opera House called out, do I have to be conscious? To be part of the Conscious Club, you know, he said, "Can't I just be?" I was like, "I love you, Ben Harper." There we go. He came in twice in this conversation. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> the inspiration that you see. Already inside of you I mean, we can talk about the, uh, I, I guess if we want to really get into the nitty gritty of it, we can talk about the, the spiritual biomechanism and how it operates to make it have an mm. understanding of why anybody would um, have certain awarenesses at any certain age and why others mm. may maybe take longer or not get to that space. Um, mm. And and it's a, it's a conversation I try to shy away from it because of that superciliousness of, of conscious and unconscious. But if we look at the planet, yeah. right. And if you were, if you were thinking of the perfect uh, uh, geometrical shape in the universe, it's a, it's a sphere, right? 
And if you were a, an enlightened being, uh, like a bodhisattva, you know, bodhisattva in Tibetan Buddhism is a is a, an enlightened mm. being that chooses to rebirth in order to help other beings become cross that threshold and get out of suffering. And we're talking in Buddhist terms right now, but uh, or Tibetan Buddhists in, in particular. But if we if we just spread that understanding and look at the earth and Mother Earth, I see Mother Earth as a bodhisattva. She rather than uh, become a human to help, uh, you know, only some, she's like an ultimate enlightened being and became a, 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 a gravity magnetic thing that could have many life forms that she, she could help through the process of um, that enlightenment and out of suffering. Yep. Wow. Anyway. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so if we think of her in that sense, and we, then we think about the, the, the cycle of karma and birth and death and reincarnation and all those kind of things, taking out that mirror theory, because really mirror theory blows all that apart in a different way, if you know what I'm saying. But if we think yes. of it on that level and we think about how human population has just exploded in this last hundred years to the point where we're destroying massive tracts of forest and, and um, uh, you know, where millions of life forms exist that are in their certain level of, of uh, uh, evolution, so Evo to speak, spiritual evolution. evolution. Mm. Suddenly they don't have um, their next whatever progression in the incarnation form to go into but there's lots of human uh hosts for want of a better term if we look at ourselves as vehicles <clears throat> that they that they now have to be birthed into because there's more humans mm. occupying the space that animals were able to go through so <clears throat> the thing is that when you've been here for a very 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 long time as a, a spirit operating a human form um if you've been human for a very long time when you first come into the 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 you know the amygdala, the reptilian brain as a spirit that operates the the biomechanism, you've only operated from that reptilian brain space, so survival and you know instinctual fear and 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 attraction. But suddenly you've got the ability to learn how to speak. Suddenly you got because you have to occupy the the, the larger brain space. As a as an operator, for want of a better term, mm. I'm, I don't like terms that separate us from our vehicle because we're not separate from the earth either, right? But just for the intent and purposes of understanding this philosophy, so mm. um, you, we instantly expand a bit, but not quite to the to the full circumference of the human brain. And there's very few of us that have gotten to that that stage, right? And mm. And I guess that's what an enlightened being does. They get to the point where they're they're so they're beyond, you know, they can operate the whole system um, and more, you know. And so we've got the sages throughout the ages that were able to do those, you know, what we consider magical things. But it's just a practical. Once you get to certain levels, you can, um, you know, Lucy your way through for referencing a film, um, <clears throat> but. <laughs> So the longer we've been here, the more we expand into that brain and that biomechanism and the more we're able to operate and the more skills we develop over lifetimes and the more we're able to, you know, do some, do things quickly. Like, so like I used to say that I didn't believe in talent or that everybody has talent and I still believe everybody does have talent, but, um, but I, but that robs someone of, of something else, which is you might have talent. You do need to work on it, right? You might, we all have multiple talents, I believe, not just one. And, but whether you're living your talent or dreaming or of your talent is it's action that gets you to that place. Like, okay. Yeah. I, I obviously had some kind of natural predisposition probably from many lifetimes before of being a musician. Right. And, and mm -hmm. but if I hadn't taken action and actually the, and the passion drove me to want to learn instruments and all the different instruments that I play, then it would still just be this kind of fantasy. You know, well, maybe I could sing, but I, I wouldn't be able to do all these other things, right? The one man band, all of that. 
and that's action. That's the and, and our system has this thing that divides us from taking action. So it, it fills it, the, our mind with distraction, shortens our attention span yes. so that we don't see things through. That, coming back to the, to the, um, the operator, that explains talent, but it also explains um, and abilities. It also explains awareness. So coming back to that question, you know, if you believe that we choose our parents for all of their karmic dysfunctional patterns as well as all of their beautiful realizations yes. and, and <laughs> potentials, um, which I think we do, you know, we do kind of yep. choose them as, as spirits to boom, oh, okay, yep. And um, then partially that comes through our parents and, you know, all the – it's not just the positive stuff. So I can say, I yes, I had philosophical chats with my mum uh, when I was young when she was present, because I was mostly raised by my dad. Um, and that certainly helped spark elements of my consciousness or remind myself of where I've come from. But I can also say that, you know, um, w like with my, my dad, and he was amazing in different level, different ways, but he also was a violent man. And, and I could go into victimhood about that, whole scenario but that's not what i chose mm. what i chose is that i became a warrior yes. and that i would never become like that and mm. and to train because he didn't want to be like that too he was very loving and i'd see when he'd switch yes I'd see it in his eyes mm. i'd see and it was scary mm. and mm. that that thing that does that it's in me I, and it's in my brothers and sisters and Mm. Thank you for to... saying that. Hey. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. Yeah. So Yeah. Cuz I was I was married to someone 18 years that had it in them and I and people say why did you stay 18 years and the thing is you you see that there's something in them that clicks and and changes but there's always that goodness and you know that love inside them, and you know, he, and I and I do see that in my children as well. But it's about right. them learning how to catch that click. <laughs> and, and we can't separate ourselves yeah. from being a trigger that triggers that darkness out as well. And this is the part yes. that yes, the com this is part of the conversation in our society at the moment that people aren't willing to ha make. But it's not an excuse for the behaviour. But it but we have to see that we are interacting. It's not we're not. You know, people don't act in ways that are completely isolated. And so uh, my dad was definitely triggered off. Sometimes I'd be the trigger, sometimes my mum, sometimes someone at work, whatever it was, but he was triggered. Completely. And Completely, yeah. What, you know, what it, um, I mean, I see that as a gift. I have conversations with people who have had uh, like a violent parent, like violent dad usually, and, and they're in victimhood and poor me and, you know, you have to go yep. through that that um, to not to have not to have compassion for those people, but you do have to go through that little phase. I went through that phase in my it, young at a young age from fear, and then but I turned it into like I started training in martial arts from a very young age. I, I was one of the youngest in Australia to get a black belt in karate and mm. block a punch from my dad. I didn't mean to. Mm. That's my dad but it was just second nature. And from that point on, he was no longer violent. My little sister, who's mm. eight years younger, had no idea that dad was violent because he stopped being violent. It stopped him mm. um, being confronted by one of his kids and, mm. and it changed him. And then he discovered Tai Chi and then he became a, a, a Tai Chi instructor and, it, and his whole life changed as a result Aww. of those, that. that um, Is he still around? Yeah, he's still around. Yeah, um, he's he's eighty one, and, and and like I said, it, he I always would say he's the, he was the best and worst dad all mingled into one. But you know, when you hear about what happened to yes. him as a kid, you just go, oh my gosh, I'm I'm surprised you're even alive, let alone, you know, able. He broke a lot of chains, but he didn't realize he because he's not a conscious being. So the reason I'm bringing that up is because I can focus on all the positives of of from both him and my mum and go, they're the reasons I was consciously aware. But actually equally, or, or if not more so, it was also all of the negatives in both of them. The neglect from my mum. Yeah, completely. And the, and the mm. you know, and the violence from dad, all of these things 
we have choices and it comes back to what i was saying earlier every time every day every minute we've got a choice and and then our life our timeline bifurcates and so it's like um you have a choice in every moment to choose something different and and yes. i think and a lot to of choose people a story yeah and a lot of people are choosing the story of victim not you know, instead of surviving, Absolutely. thriving, it's that coming because down to what are you going to do from this situation? Where are you going to take the responsibility? Exactly. And, yeah. and the reason it's chosen, one, is it's, it's because of conditioning and it's a cultural thing. Um, and two, because we do still get an energy. We, it's a, maybe, for want of a better term, more vampiric, but it's kind of um, and very draining. But we can get... Uh, from from sympathy, from being a victim, we can get um, energy from people, and, oh, and yes, and and that is a kind of disease in our culture, um, in our society, <clears throat> and we can look at the structures of society to find the various causations and the injustices and the disparity that exists within those structures that help perpetuate victimhood mentality or, or supercilious uh, uh, kind of um, hierarchical mentality too. Um, yeah. But ultimately we all have a choice. And I, like, I think of song lyrics, like um, famous ones, like stairway to heaven, um, Led Zeppelin and uh, where there's a line that says, uh, there are two paths you can go by, but in the long run, there's still time to change the road you're on. Because it doesn't matter what you've done. Of course, you need to try and make amends for the things you've done. I, I you know, I've got a stack of them <laughs> that I'm trying to make amends for. Yeah. And yeah. I try to make amends for it by trying to put out, you know, uh, creations that inspire people to, you know, mm. my my band twenty odd years ago or so was called Dream Seeds, because the idea was to plant the seeds for people to follow their dreams. Um, in a culture and mm. a society where it, we're taught to follow our uh, the responsibility of money and and you know material wealth, um, but <clears throat> there's those two paths. You can constantly change the path, and you make bad choices. You make good choices. Good and bad, of course, are, re are relative to to interpretation and and uh, subjective ultimately. But um, mm. Mm you know it acts as a guide but it's um it, you know you hear people going oh it's too late i'm too old or i'm too this too that i'm too <laughs> i've got a song about that actually it talks about come on yeah which one <laughs> you're too this you're too that you're too i didn't send you that song though um but hmm. uh yeah it, it's for me trying to make amends for my my wrongdoings for want of a better term is um is trying to make uh creations that inspire people that educate people that um, open ideas to people or make them feel something and yes you know i think the creative arts are the vehicle of personal and social change politics has never done it and this is what a lot of people have been sort of fooled into thinking that you know it doesn't matter what you think of you think of an issue right maybe gay marriage right which was you know it the whole big debate in, in 10, 10 to five years ago. Um, this the society itself had already decided that we needed to allow it to happen. And how long did it take politics to, you know, and the politicians, up. they used it and milked it to, to, you know, get other policies that the nefarious policies through whilst distracting us with that issue. And, and the thing, but the thing is it illustrated that, um, so the arts had already demonstrated that love is love through all the different mm -hmm. art forms, films and TV shows and mu uh, music and plays and poetry and you name it. There was, there was stuff dealing with that topic or whatever topic we, we just, you know, I'm just using that as one example. Mm. And eventually mm. that seeped into the conditioning of the collective conscious and the, and what ultimately then happened was like, yeah, love is love, but it wasn't the politicians that chose it, but they took claim for it. And we need to be aware of those kinds of things that um, the arts have always been the precipitator for social and political, socio 
political, economic, environmental change. Mm. So, yeah. <laughs> well, on that, in our current um, situation, I don't even want to say the word that we're experiencing. Mm. What is your thoughts on how that, you know, it feels like the creative industry have not been valued as high as I feel it is to be valued. So what is your feeling on how have you, you know, you're releasing a new song, we're going to talk about that, but how are you feeling with all that's going on worldwide? Yeah. It's, something you want to share? I mean, look, I I have a whole gamut of emotions when it comes to that because I've, I've been struggling I saw, for example, as a kid, like that sports was venerated, for example, and the connection to, you know, that ancient Roman gladiators and feeding <laughs> people to lions yeah. to um, the performing and creative arts. And, you know, both, can, both are entertaining, but one's kind of a dulling thing. And I, 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 I might hear, I, I can hear the... the, the the wriggles of annoyance from people who love sport. I don't. I know. I know. Yeah, and that's okay. That's fine. You can love sport. It's all good. But um, how similar sports is, and te- you know, that with their colours and their their you know warlike um, mentality and their chants. They they chant collectively yeah. to, to to politics. I'm I'm with mm. the Reds. Or I'm with the Blues. And by hell, you know, it's like boom boom. Um, it it yeah. It's kind of soporphoric. Anyway, so um, <laughs> the creative arts stimulate, normally stimulate. Yes, entertain, but it's a stimulation of intelligence. It's a stimulation of vibration. Um, like vibrational me, too. A, a, a yep. song, for example, if it's a, a, like a good song, should move you either physically, mentally, emotionally. Or spiritually, right? A great song will do a combination of a couple of those things. And, you know, a classic song that lasts the test of time, song or piece of music for, for want of a better term, will, will incorporate most, if not all of those elements. Of, but the point is to move. And, and I think that's the same for film. It's the same for everything. You see, I was going to say, I watched, yeah, I watched a film last night I haven't watched since my 20s, you know, okay. and. Do you want me to say what it was? Yeah. <laughs> Drop it. I watched Pretty Pretty in Pink with oh, wow. uh, Molly Ringwald. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. I'd be scared to watch something and like I that just, that I loved when I was a kid. I was scared, because yeah, because I like, loved oh, it so it much. I was it? like, oh, what are you doing? You're going to ruin this. But yeah. it just, it still had it. It oh, just great. completely held it. <laughs> oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, some films do that. Yeah. The Dark Crystal was like that for me. It's still yeah. amazing. It's like fantastic you know storytelling that moves you in many different ways and and so it'll stand the yeah. test of time um and harkens to an old storytelling style that has been going on for mm-hmm. you know, thousands of years well you know what's going on at the moment when, if we're talking about the shutdowns and all that kind of stuff and how um hypocritical it's been seeing that uh you know blues fest for example was shut down and, and oh. that, um in in this area, in the in the Byron Shire, it's a it's a regional area. Yes, it's famous and all that, but it is a, a, a small town regional area, and that relies very heavily on Blues Fest and Splendor in the Grass through the colder months to get through the the lower tourism time, and then we then of course summer's all all good, spring, summer, autumn, but through that winter time, it's businesses suffer, and as a result those festivals bring in very much needed economic drive as well as cultural drive to the area. Mm. And that they decided within a matter of hours, uh, the, the one state case. government, that um, it was going to go off, but the big sporting events were allowed to go in the cities. And when it happens in the cities, it doesn't affect the economy of the city so bad when if something got shut down, but they're not shutting those down. Even though there's, you know, know, equal amounts of people, they're all shouting over each other. If if we're talking science here, then and and we believe that, you know, this is a pandemic and all this kind of stuff. Then where's the science there? You can't have one set of rules here and different set of rules there. But what it does demonstrate is the conservative kind of mentality uh, is against the arts because the arts is generally creates progressiveness in thinking. 
and feeling. Yes. <laughs> so and, and free and free thinking. But you know, so I could, if we're going back on that topic before of talking about choices we make, being a victim or not, I can I can go, oh poor poor me as a musician, poor us as artists, or poor, and there's got to be an element of that in there. But at the same time, it's sort of like, what are we going to do about it? Mm. First and foremost, as an artist, I needed to create I need to create art that creates more awareness around it, or at least acts as a conduit for me to talk about these things. Um, yes, because that's the other function for me with music is really just it, you know there's the journey of the music itself, but it's also you know I do love engaging on on a conversational level, and I like to deliver <laughs> um, messages this way, <laughs> not just through song, yes, and not just through feeling through the music or you know the film or whatever it is that I'm doing. Um, and I so, think creatives so, need to channel creatively. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, yeah, but mm. uh, creatives need to channel creatively, but not just that. It's like, you know, when you come across um, uh, serious spiritual meditators, this, that, and the other, that have in the New Age movement that go, that don't have any environmental or humanitarian activists' uh, energy at all. They say, well, I'm doing it all in meditation. I'm like, well, okay, that's great, but it's only one piece. You still need to, we're in the action dimension, you still need to do something. And, so, and on the flip side, because I used to be involved in a lot of environmental groups in my, um, my teens and early 20s, it was like, um, great, you're taking action, but what are you doing about your inner world and how are you relating with others? Because you've got a lot of freaking anger, dude, and you need to, like, chill that shit out, you know. Oh, I love that you say that because, yeah, there's, yeah, I just love that you, you say You need that. a bit of both. And then this is the thing, like, we are multidimensional yeah. beings. We are not monodimensional. And I think one of the dangers in society at the moment is it, it, we've, we've become like a meme culture, um, as in a meme will represent a, a whole complex ideology and then that becomes a doctrine and that becomes a, a, you know, an ism that has dogma. And that becomes dangerous because that is not progressive. When you become intransigent with your beliefs, um, you are no longer evolving. You're fixed. And that's a danger zone. So even for a lot of progressives or a lot of spiritual people or a lot of, you know, woke, <laughs> I always laugh at that one. Um, the problem there is intransigence. And you become, then what ends up happening is it creates a polarity and, and judgment. And so, yeah, in, in regards to the song that I've just released, humble yourself it is about observing judgment seeing where we're judging because i wrote that when i was i mean me and one of my yeah tell us about when yeah, yeah what we brought were, you to write we were that a right bitching session judging the the crap out of a bunch of people that we knew and maybe some of those or, or most of those observations may have been like a, a correct observation but the way we were doing it was was very supercilious. Like bring that word up, arrogant, and you know, from a higher, you know, like we're looking down upon others. And it's not really me. I don't really, you know, I don't think it's any of us really. But I, I, I didn't feel comfortable. I got into it with her, but I really didn't feel comfortable with it. I went to sleep with that feeling, and then I was asleep in a dream singing that song, this song, and mm. and I could feel viscerally feel this song like coming out of my mouth and I could hear it in this dimension, not in my dream. And that woke me up out of my mm. dream, which made mm. me remember the song, which made me, I grabbed the guitar, went on the porch, the sun was rising up and the song wrote itself. And it's first and foremost a reminder. Did it me, come in one download? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And it hasn't changed. I mean, production of it has changed, but the words and melody are exactly the same. Yeah, um, and there's so yep. much more I could have packed in there, but that's what I packed in with the sounds instead of the words, if that makes sense. But it, it's a reminder, yes. first and foremost, to me to to you know, where am I being judgmental? Because um, when we judge other people, and this is probably the key, the main key takeaway in the song is that when we judge other people, we're practicing how to be judgmental. We're getting good at it because whatever you practice, you become good at. 
And if we practice negative thinking, we practice judge, judging and jealousy, we get good at those things. We practice being a victim. We practice all of these things and repeat it in our minds, repeat it in our speech. Um, that's what we get good at. And the problem with the particular form that, with judgment is that when we judge others and we're using it as, a, you know, it's quite often that judgment is used as a way to connect with somebody. Oh, you're, you're one of me and they are them over there and then you're connected to them. Rather than connecting on a positive, you're connecting on a negative but pushing it out there, right? Um, our tribe, it's, it's a very tribalism kind of way of, of operating. But the problem there is that you, it doesn't stop there because you've practiced it. You, the main thing that happens is your inner critic gets stronger. It becomes more nefarious. It becomes um, so judgmental of who we become our worst critic. We judge ourselves so badly. The more we practice judging others, the better we are at judging ourselves. Better being a, a real term we don't want to use, but it, that's what happens. And so it can be really crippling. And that affects people on me people's mental health o across the board of different, of all the strata of society. Like mental health issues are maybe the prominent disease of our times, anxiety, depression, and suicide. I mean, I wrote a whole album dedicated to raising awareness and, uh, and funds as well for depression and suicide because of this. Because I see that. If you're if you're busy being having these mental illnesses, you're not going to be a champion for Mother Earth. You've got no energy for it. You know what I mean? You're not even going to be able to raise your oh, kids right. Completely. You know, and your relationships break down and the walls go up. Well, that's what I'm saying. If you don't have that that will, that base chakra, mm. which is connecting to, to Mother try. Earth, if if mm. you're not operating from power from there. Mm. You know, and you're stuck with that critical thoughts and critical mind and negative thinking. How are we going to be the change? <laughs> right. Well, that that's that's yeah. the best question to ask. So, my um, rather simplistic but very effective solution is that when you judge someone, I'm not saying don't judge anybody, because there is a fine line between observation and judgment, and we need to, you know, get better at finding what that is. It's really important to observe. It's just when it slips into judgment, it becomes gossip and becomes, you know, something else. But we still need to observe. So, but when we find ourselves judging another person, I think for every judgment that you make, make find three positive things to say about those people if it's been said out loud about that person or people. And practice that. Even if it feels cliched and wanky and you know, cheesy. It's like we have conditioned our minds so much for the negative that we need to combat it with three times as much positive just to kind of balance things out. And so for every judgment, three positives about them. And what will end up happening is that you start going, well, I just, you know, you catch yourself when you go, oh, you're not worth or, you know, you're not worthy of love or you're not worth, maybe that's a bit too generic. Maybe it's just like, oh, you're not good at blah, 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 blah. You know, the things we say to ourselves. Oh, if I was really, if I was actually, you know, the, the, the little shit in my mind, the things he says to me is so, it, I, oh, right. So tell me about it. one <laughs> of those negative things, we need to find three genuine things to say positive about ourselves in our mind. And make that a practice out in the microcosm internally and externally. Mm. The purpose of this song is so I can talk about this particular um, practical tool. It's easy. We can do that. You can go boom. And it will take practice. It takes diligence to learn something new. It takes diligence to retrain the mind and program the unconscious mind. It really does. The repetition. Repetition is important. Mm. <clears throat> and it's not, you know, like I said, it's not to have, you know, to be someone who doesn't judge it's to be someone who's not spiraling downward in that inner judgment and outer judgment and bringing making the world an uglier place as a result um or your inner world an uglier mm. place as a result because you start not trusting the universe you start not trusting life and your higher self and all of those things
to to the things that your inner critic says to yourself. Um, and I've had to say say this um, a lot to my eldest daughter, who's twenty one, and she's she had a drug induced psychosis and has some really major issues to go through. And one of the things I I, I say to her is <clears throat> that voice in your head that talks to you to yourself the way it does let's externalize it for a second and she's got a little you know two and five year old little sister through me and i'm like if you saw a grown adult your age talking to your two-year-old sister the way that you talk to yourself wouldn't you step in wouldn't you stop that person and say hey mm. that is not okay you that is so out of line. Do not talk to her that way. I came to that point years ago mm. where I found myself doing that and I just went, I became my, I had to become my own warrior and my own nurturer. I had to defend my own inner child from the, this beast of a dark side inside of me that was, to, you know, torturing my little boy inside me, the little through, because it happens around the age of, you know, between two and four where we, where we sort of compartmentalize and hide. And it's this little two to four year old Nathan inside me. And, and I literally had an operation here. So I was doing this and it triggered something in me and I just went, oh, I just need to nurture myself. And that, what, was, what does that mean? Bit of love, but it also means going, oi, uh-uh, you don't talk to him that way. And you protect your little child. You stand between the, the inner critic and the inner child and you go, no. Nobody else can do that. You have to do it for yourself. And there you go. There's another tool. I think that's a really handy one. I think it's quite practical. You need to find a way to um, stand between you and that inner critic and defend that, that inner child. Mm. It sounds as cliched as hell, but you do. You need to defend and nurture that inner child and stop then trying to make other people be the nurturer of the inner child. That's what creates all the dysfunctional relationships dysfunction in relationships. <laughs> mm. Mm. <sighs> Completely. <sighs> <laughs> I mean, I, I picked up listening to the song when I saw you release it and it, it definitely um, has a very powerful um, message that I think, and I love that you've expanded on what it is you're really wanting to get across with that because I think that, yeah, it's really important for us to pay attention to our thoughts. And I, and I also got from that song about um, pausing and, and being in the present moment more and having that awareness, you know, when we are externally judging to, to go more inwards and being in our, in our presence and yeah. be an observer of our, our critical mind and our thoughts. It's, it's very much connected to the song I, I released prior to it, Watcher Watching the Watcher. So I, you know, yes, you yes. If you listen to humble yourself, listen also to what you're watching the watcher, and you'll see ah, you'll see the connections, you know. Um, yes, and that and that song, that song very much talks about um, being aware of the critical mind and listening to the 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 way you're self talking, isn't it? That song yeah. and and. And almost being like in the seat of the soul and, and observing yes. from that place of, okay, what what are we saying to ourselves right now? Because, yeah, often I find when I'm, you know, reaching out and or listening and holding space for loved ones and, and friends and, and it's a constant reminder to them to observe the story that is going round and round in their head daily. The, the constant continual loop of a chat. Yes. And to the only way to pull yourself out of that is to, and I have to do it myself. I'm, I'm no Zen master. Like I, that's Very how come fun. I can share it with others, but I'm like the only way that I can get out of that is to constantly be reminding myself, what am I doing right now? Where am I right now? Yeah. So that I can get out of that story and come back into this reality. So it's almost like coming back to that mirror. Yes, there are many different, you know, spiraling stories you can latch onto, and many of them are victims, victim stories. And, and the interesting um, thing is many. And of oh, them, poor me. Yeah, all of them have a very mm -hmm. 
real rational uh, reason for existing, but they but in the end they're just narratives. And if we were if we were to change the word conditionings or indoctrinations and replace it with narratives or stories, that's actually what it is. We are our minds are clouded with a whole bunch of stories. And those stories make us believe certain things and then as a result behave in certain ways. And, and I don't know if it's, yeah. uh, I think ultimately it is possible to get rid of all the stories and become an enlightened being, but that might not be the purpose of why we're here. But we can, in our godly, goddessly way, retrain the mind to be creative rather than destructive. And that means that's like that that tool I was saying before. For every negative, replace it with three positives. You know, for every judgment. Yeah, I love that. Three I observations, that. and because if we overcomplicate things, and we tend to do that, um, it becomes too hard. You know, you don't learn how to yeah. do a mixolydian scale on a on a on a guitar, right? Um, in seven, eight time, uh, time signature without um, first learning your ABCs and going very basically. Yes. But I love this conversation. Maybe yes. This can be a so part we're going to share with all the, we're going to share with all the listeners um, some of your tracks, but definitely we will share humble yourself and we'll have you on again. It's been great chatting with you and thanks for doing what you're doing and thank you and thanks you know, for making space. being a warrior of light here oh, that's so beautiful <laughs> thanks for making space uh, for, for for this conversation it's you know i do a lot of different interviews but we don't get into the real deep nitty-gritty i try and bring it there but there's only so much uh, so far i can bring it without the interviewer sort of you know, I, you know, whether it's on Triple M or whatever right, I'm doing, they've only, they're catering to a certain audience and a certain thing. But with you and with your awareness, I'm able to just like completely open up, be vulnerable and be in my, you know, uh, channeling kind of self of this part of me that I can just be free to, to talk at a level that I know that your audience um, will resonate best with. And that feels so nice to be able to do that. Oh, my gosh. Nice is the wrong word, but thank you. Mm. A spiral of gratitude. Right. I love it. Bye. It's real. <laughs> All right, darling. Beautiful. Um, enjoy the music. And thank you for listening. And thank to, thanks to everybody out there for listening. And um, keep supporting uh, conscious, born of a better term, artists, independent artists who are, are out there trying to shift our socioeconomic di political dynamics out there and 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 that extends to those like Steph who are supporting um, and putting out really awesome and important vital stuff that you know we need to we need to be having these conversations we need to do, be doing it more often there's not enough philosophical depth in conversations in general these days I you know I think a lot of people are too tired and too exhausted and drained from from survival to have these conversations and it's up to us to make sure that we these you know the reason we're alive is at the core of our existence we're not here to survive we're here to 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 wonder about the universe and to be curious agents of of <laughs> love and wonder <laughs> One space, love. You've been listening to the One Space Love podcast and I'm your host, Steph Pappas. I loved this chat today with Nathan Kay. You can go over to onespace.love to get all the links and the songs that were featured in this episode. Um, I share the links under Music We Love and under One Space Love podcast with Nathan Kay. Um, you can also catch up with all the previous episodes. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you for supporting One Space Love. And please create space to do more of what you love. <laughs>